Hi there. We're going to go ahead and get started. Uh, my name is Emily Turner, and I'm a trained spiritual director and work closely with the Retreat House to tell the many sacred stories of this community through our blog and also host different special events like tonight. Um, we're delighted to have a few folks with us here at our physical space in Richardson, Texas. Um, we're gathered again this evening as a continuation from last week where we had Troy Caldwell who shared some really good information on archetypes and we have Doug Scott with us tonight um, to focus on the Enneagram portion of our uh, kind of workshop or our class series, if you will. So I'm going to introduce Doug. I'm going to read a little bit of his bio. I don't always do that, but I, I think it's a good bio. Um, so I'm, I'm just going to going to read a little bit about him. Doug Scott is a licensed professional social worker, licensed clinical social worker. Um, attended the University of North Texas, where he studied psychology and Spanish. During his sophomore year, he studied abroad in Monterey, Mexico, and that will become significant. You'll see here in a minute. After UNT, he served as an international volunteer in Bluefield, Nicaragua, um, with Franciscans for two very formative years. After returning from Nicaragua, he worked at a nonprofit organization in Massachusetts before going to grad school at Boston College. He graduated from BC in 2004 with his master's degree in social work and a master's degree in pastoral ministry. Since 2001, Doug has worked as a mental health counselor to English and Spanish speaking families, couples, and individuals. He also spent several years working at the University of Dallas and currently works a few hours a week at University of Texas at Dallas uh, while spending the rest of his time in private practice. Uh, he also studied under Father Richard Rohr and is passionate about using the Enneagram as a tool for healing. So we're so pleased to have Doug here with us tonight and I invited him to open us with a word of prayer. So I'm gonna hand it over to Doug. Thank you. Thank you, Emily. Okay, I'm going to invite us to sit up straight if, if you can and take three deep breaths with me. Loving creator, you are reality itself. Reality is love. Love brings together. Love connects. Love complexifies. Love individuates and love unites. We just ask that your love, your presence, your spirit be here in us, through us. I ask that the spirit open me up so that I can get out of the way and allow my words to mean something to somebody 
And we thank you for the opportunity to be here in community and to talk about ways in which we can also learn more about how to love. Amen. <clears throat> okay. So Emily is going to share the screen, and we're going to make sure that this automatic thing works. And if it doesn't work um, right away, we'll work in the next 30 seconds because we figured out how to make that happen. All right, let's see here. Yeah, okay. <clears throat> well, welcome. Uh, I'm going to be really jam-packing this, uh, making some assumptions. Uh, some assumptions that I have are you're going to be familiar with some of these concepts. Uh, concepts, at least you will have heard about the Enneagram, I hope. Uh, we did hear about the archetypes last week. And don't worry, we're going to do some summary work on the archetypes. Um, I've already asked Troy to be able to weigh in on some of the archetypes. And we're going to also be synthesizing what I've been using for about 15 years now is um, mainly building from Richard Rohr's work on the true self, false self. <laughs> so we have our work cut out for us, and my job is to talk in a language that's not too quick. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> But we're going to be synthesizing archetypes, Enneagram, true self, false self, all in a way that will help us hopefully uh, do loving actions beginning right after this, uh, because we'll be able to understand a little bit more about ourselves and our archetypes and see flows. I am big on images, so if anybody ever becomes a, a client of mine, you'll see in my office I've got pictures in, that are seemingly abstract, but they all have meaning. And we're going to use one of those pictures tonight in this presentation, okay? All right, uh, I just wanted to give you some ideas about who influenced me real quick. Um, I'm just going to read this out loud. Catholic mystics, I grew up Catholic. Richard Rohr, of course. Um, Cynthia Bergeau, I'm not sure if you know who that is, but she's a big influence of mine. Sister Elia Delio, if you haven't heard of her, YouTube her, you will be immensely um, impressed. She is, in my opinion, the foremost student of Tehar de Chardin. I hope you've heard of him. But Cynthia, I'm sorry, Elia is a Franciscan sister and um, brilliant, two PhDs, science, theology, but she's speaking about the cutting edge. Darmud Armuku is a, an Irish priest who speaks um, also from the lineage of Tehar de Chardin. Tehar de Chardin, of course, is a Jesuit who um, introduces this idea of, of theology and evolution as being one and the same, that God evolves through and in and as the material world in, in some way that still honors panentheism. Uh, Reverend Dr. Barbara Holmes, Brene Brown, Kristen Neff, Thomas Merton, of course I'm sure you've heard of him, a man named Doskalos, you can Google him and be surprised there, uh, Francis of Assisi, Julian of Norwich, Dr. Jim Finley, 
And lastly, the body of wisdom called spiral dynamics. So uh, this was what we had last week. Troy had given this slide um, of all the great stories. And what I did is I put it all together in a um, different format. And this is what I put together. Now, don't be attached to any one of the slides because I will have... I have a blog and all of this is going to be going in my blog and all I need to do is give Emily the link to it after all of this is done and you will have access to it so don't feel like you have to take notes if, unless you want to of course um, but don't get worried if, if I go too quickly. <clears throat> Anyways, the outer area would be the male archetypes, the male principle. We all have all of the archetypes inside us, male and female principle. Principles um, and the inside the would be the female principles. Okay, so I just wanted to give you just another way to look at that. I haven't put the enneagram numbers under each one of these archetypes, but that is coming later. So you'll see. You'll see what we're going to do. This is the hero's journey that Troy talked about, and I just want to go over it real quick. Um, we have the old room at the very top, status quo, call to liminal space, refusal of the call, meeting the mentor, cross, crossing the threshold, the trials, allies, and enemies, approaching the inmost cave, the supreme ordeal, the reward, the road back, the resurrection of the, what I'm calling the new room, and the return transformed. Now, what I want you guys to understand is this is all a circle. It's nice, but for our purposes, we're actually going to make it a straight line. So watch this. This gets fancy. <laughs> and then... <laughs> I was having fun. Okay. Anyways, we have a straight line. And what that actually looks like is this. So that this is the hero's journey in more of a straight line. And that, that's going to have meaning because I'm setting up uh, the true self, false self in a way that you can't quite imagine yet, but you'll get there. Okay. And what I'd like to do is introduce this image right here. Um, I've been teaching for a long time this process of transformation using old room, new room, and liminal space in the middle, okay? And for about 20, 15 years I've been teaching this and I had a really crude picture of it. And one of my uh, people that I know is a artist and he shows up and gives me that. So I have it in my office. You can see it down there. Um, do you see St. Yoda too, holding it up? <laughs> holding up my books. But anyways, this is right above my head in my counseling room, and I just point to this all the time because this is very um, good wisdom. So we're going to be using this image in our work tonight. <clears throat> and you can see, if we put it all together, we've got uh, the hero's journey that moves in from the old room into liminal space and into new room. Okay, so. What I'm doing right now is I'm just setting up the, the Enneagram talk and introducing um, how the, the, the hero's journey, the archetypes, 
this process of transformation, because if the Enneagram doesn't lead us to transformation, it's just concepts, and it's not important. But the point of the Enneagram is to actually lead us to transformation. So that's what we're doing here. Now, the thing about the old room, liminal space, and new room is that it's an, a constant cycling process. So notice that when you get to the new room, and we're going to talk about what this stuff means here in a minute, but when you get to the new room, it actually becomes the new old room. <laughs> because when, once you reach to some level of greater metanoia, and metanoia, you may know, means change of heart-mind. Noia is Greek for uh, heart-mind, and the Greeks understand mind is putting the head in the heart. So it is heart-mind. Metanoia means expanding our viewpoint. And the point, the purpose of the hero's journey is to go through these trials, to approach the inmost cave, go into the supreme ordeal, getting into the new room, which is a new transformed version of you, and then that becomes status quo. At some point, it becomes maintenance, and that is a new old room. And if we're listening to the spirit, we end up trans transcending that too. So always think of, of it as a cycle, uh, and a, really a spiral. <clears throat> In Christian terms, we look at it this way. Okay, liminal space is the place of crucifixion. This vulnerability, embracing what is, being nailed upon the present moment, uh, trusting the process of metanoia. When we can do that well, we, and we learn how to do that well, and that's really the, the purpose, I think, of good spiritual direction and counseling, and I think church services can invite us to help us weather our own uh, crosses in our life, that can lead to our resurrections. And so in the resurrection form in the um, old room, or the new room rather, I have it as a cross with a circle on it. And that kind of looks like a Celtic cross, doesn't it? Yeah. Now, one of the beautiful things I think about the Christian faith is that the resurrected body of Jesus was not, quote, a perfect body or unblemished. It had its, uh, still its wounds. So even when we have gone through the trials and tribulations of the liminal space, and it'll always be uncomfortable, it's always a dying. Dying to what Rohr calls great love or great suffering are the things that bring us into our deaths. And we emerge into the new room, it's not like you're not going to forget. You're not going to forget that which got you there. You won't forget the crosses. You will be wounded in some way, but those wounds become sacred. Um, so that's something important that I think it's beautiful to see when we talk about the Enneagram in a old room, new, new room way. We're going to see that uh, our false self part, the compulsion of our Enneagram style will always be there. We're always going to have the wounds of that. Um, and then we choose not to go into the compulsions when we're in our true self. So that's just to give you a little bit of a foreshadowing. <clears throat> if you will indulge me, I'm going to be moving the old room, this diagram, we're going to turn it on its side, and then we're going to squash it up. So it's going to look like this. Okay, there's a reason for this. Um, and what I 
also want to bring your attention here is notice on the image to the right, we have the old room on top and the new room on bottom. Notice the arrow in liminal space. It goes down. It goes down. And that was some of the insight that Richard Rohr used in his book, Falling Upward, if you're familiar with that. Uh, falling upward is the sense that the more that we actually go down and in to our own shadow self, uh, unconscious self, really move down there and have the courage to go down there to defeat those dragons in the hero's journey. That is a down and in movement, but we actually end up, uh, if you will, from conventional understanding, we move up. In other words, it's closer to God, if you will. I'm not saying God is up there, but I'm saying it's being born from above and this idea from above. So we're moving down and in, but our uh, under our experience of entering into our anchored self is one in which we start to see things from a, quote, above place, um, seeing more from God's point of view, okay? So here's how we're going to set this up. <clears throat> we have the floating self. Now, Richard's term is the false self and true self. And I used to use the false self and true self when I would use this in counseling with my clients. But the false self is actually, um, it, it's a misnomer, isn't it? Because we're not saying, sometimes false sounds bad. I go, well, I don't want the false self because that's the bad self. And that's not what we're trying to say here. Um, so I just changed it. I changed the wording so it can be less negative connotation. And we're going to call it floating. It's kind of floating up there like a balloon kind of floats up there. Okay. And then it's attached to the anchored self, which is down at the bottom. That's the true self. The anchored self is the true self and it's anchored into the universal Christ or the Christ. See, it's anchored into, we are all members of the one body of Christ. Your anchored self um, and, and where, where Christ ends and, and the anchored self begins is, is really, it's impossible to kind of see that. It's almost like taking two metals and welding them together. And then even at the molecular structure, you can't see where one ends and one begins. Wouldn't you say that's the Christ archetype? The Christ archetype. I would say that. Thank you. Just saying. Just... The archetype guy over here. <laughs> now, notice that what tethers the floating self to the anchored self is indeed the liminal space. And the path is down. See that? So you see how I, why I did that then. <clears throat> now, what is the floating self and anchored self? And where is this in scripture, you might ask? Well, may I invite us to change a word from Paul? Already I know I'm a heretic, so I'm sorry. But let's say, let us substitute the word flesh with floating self. So I'm going to read these. Actually, I'm going to invite one of you to read the first one. Uh, one, one of you, please, read all three of those. So someone with a nice voice, preferably not a male. Um, Troy, not you. Uh, <laughs> someone could read that out loud. And, and when you see the word flesh, put down floating self. Better read? Oh, 
Sure. Okay, can you hear me okay? Yes. Yes? Yes. yes. Okay. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of your floating self. Is it your floating self or the floating self? Your floating self or the floating self is fine. Okay. For what is of the floating self desires is opposed to the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires is opposed to the floating self. For these are opposed to each other to prevent for you from doing what you want. Yeah. Okay, somebody else, thank you. No, yeah. If you sow your own floating self, you will reap corruption from the floating self. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life from the Spirit. One more person. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Can I read it one more time? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> those who live according to the floating self set their minds on the things of the floating self. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Thank you. I have a question. Uh -huh. we have we have substituted the word anchored self with spirit? Yes. Yeah. Did, are you in my mind? Are you in my mind or something? Because I was just about to say that. <laughs> no. Okay, good. You're, you are right on track. Yes, yeah, I'm very happy. No, that's exactly right. Um, spirit can be anchored self. And flesh can be floating self. And you can see now that we're not talking about the bodiliness, which has gotten us in trouble for how many centuries, but rather um, the floating self, uh, floating self's desires of power, prestige, and possessions. If that's the only self that we think we are, that's when it's dangerous. Because that self is only interested in power, prestige, and possessions, and it's a, inherently a fragile self. And safety, wouldn't you say? And safety. Um, and it could go with prestige, also in, in terms of not just safety with like physical safety, but also reputational safety and things like that. <clears throat> but it doesn't begin with a P, so that's why I didn't say that. <laughs> uh, what we're going to do is we're going to use this model to actually introduce the different Enneagram types. Okay. What we're going to show is that in the floating self area, I'm going to talk about the unhealthy compulsion or the vice of each type. And then in the anchored self area, we're going to talk about the healthy version, the virtue, and the freedom of each type. And also I want us to see here that I have in the very bottom is that in Christ all things are renewed. And I put that down there on purpose because in my diagram um, we are calling that Christ, the, the Christ uh, universal Christ or Christ down there. And in Christ all things are renewed. The other thing I want to add here, too, is we all, as we saw earlier from the diagram of moving 
from the old room to liminal space to the new room, and then we cycle back. When we have a taste of your anchored self, all right, you're not, it's not a one and done thing. It's not that uh, now you're enlightened, enlightened Buddha, if you will. Um, you'll, you can have a taste of it, and then you, we learn how to dance between the anchored self and floating self. You're going to dance there. Um, and as you get older and we learn how to appropriate our great loves and great sufferings that bring us into liminal space, our crucifixions, and then into the resurrections of our life and the new room, as we learn how to cycle this over and over again, our anchored self becomes more and more robust. So it does develop too. All right. Um, and what I would say is the end of life journey. Now, that doesn't mean chronologically. You know, one can have it earlier too. But I would say the people that maybe we might consider enlightened, if I could use that Eastern term, would, or maybe we could call it units of consciousness in the West, are people who live mostly in their anchored self, have learned to do that, and use their floating self intentionally to do good in the world. So we're not talking about you getting rid of you know, uh, your job or getting rid of the different titles you have. Uh, that's, that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is use those things that are of the purview of the floating self, but use them intentionally to do something in the world. If, if you're in your anchored self, that will be a natural thing. Okay? So we're not throwing the floating self out. We're not into killing the ego. We're into uh, transforming the ego and then using the egoic self or the floating self actually to do good in the world. That's what we're talking about. Okay. <clears throat> On the side here, I will be talking about the descriptions. We'll lay out tips on how to navigate the liminal space well. So for example, the type one, we'll be talking about the floating self version, the anchored self version, and then on the sides, I will be giving specific tips on if you're a one, what the heck do you do to get out of the, the liminal space and into the anchored self? And these are lifelong little things that we can do. Again, don't worry about writing all this stuff down. It's going to be in the link pretty soon, and you can have that for whenever you want, okay? All right. What is the Enneagram? We're not going to talk about that tonight. You can Google that because that'll take forever. But I will mention a few things, okay? I'll read these out loud. There are nine life strategies on how to deal with life. Why does a horse have blinders? Because it would be distracted, especially it's on the street, right? Now, I am not sure if this is true, but I've heard. Um, if it's not true, email me later because my floating self can't handle correction. Just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Troy beats me up all the time, so I'm just real fragile already. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, the horse has blinders, and then if you remove the blinders, 
apparently if the blinders are on long enough, the horse has lost the peripheral vision. So even if the blinders are off, the horse is not seeing reality in, a, in its whole. It's only seeing what it has now been trained to see. That's what a life strategy is by virtue of nature, nurture, and free will. Little triad, okay? Nature, nurture, and free will. We will make an art form of one of them. You will have all nine types. You will have all nine types inside you. Just like you have all uh, the types of the, the um, archetypes, okay? But you will, you and I will make an art form of one of them, and it's a great place to start. But as we're going to see, the goal is not to keep us in that compulsion, that box. The Enneagram is not about keeping people in the box. Um, it's about getting people out of the box. And what I always teach when I introduce this with my clients or in presentations is that if you can t draw a line right in the middle of the liminal space area that, that connects the anchored self with the floating self, we're going to call right in the middle, we're going to call that 50%. We're going to call that average, just for fun. We'll call it average. So average to unhealthy is what we're trying to avoid. What we want to get into is the average to healthy levels of the Enneagram type. Average to healthy. So when I work with couples, average to healthy. When I work with anybody, it's even when we're having a hard time, could we go into the average area and then work our way into the healthy area? That's the point. And the goal is to help us empathize with others and help them embody their anchored selves. Deep calls unto deep, as the psalmist says. So our anchored selves call forth the anchored selves of other people. The one, okay, reformer or perfectionist. That is what the one is often titled. And by the way, I'm using several different Enneagram teachers' titles. In fact, this is a combination of, uh, I started teaching it, learning teaching um, in 2005. And so uh, this is a combination of a whole bunch of people into one thing. So some people call it a reformer. Some people call it a perfectionist. Don't get tied to the names. Just get to the energies of it. Okay. <clears throat> At the floating self level, the type one is angry, resentful, can be rigid and uncompromising. All right. One of the reasons why is because one's learned early on by nature, nurture, and free will that they were affirmed when they were good little boys and good little girls. And they started to develop a sense of what's an ideal world and who an ideal self and then what is not. And because reality is not their ideal, they end up feeling wrath all the time, anger. But what are you going to do if you've learned that uh, being angry is not good? Ooh, that puts you in a bind. So ones suppress the anger, and it comes out as resentment and judgment. So you'll know you're in a floating self, in the presence of someone who's a one in their floating self, is even when they're talking about maybe nice things, um, you feel the energy of judgment just exuding, okay? And um, sometimes their jokes are just half jokes because there's also a critique in them, for example. <clears throat> but 
going into the anchored self of a one, we can find someone who is serene, conscientious, principled. Yes, principled. Ones are very principled. You want ones running banks. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> you can trust ones who are judges if they're in their anchored self. Um, you can trust ones who are uh, lawmakers and so on and so forth because they will be principled and conscientious. You can't buy them off. A famous magazine, Consumer Reports, they famously do not accept revenue from outside advertisements because they won't be bought off, for example. See, all ones. I'm sure not. there's nobody but ones running that. Um, ones can hold it all together. <laughs> they can hold all of it at the, at the anchored self level. They can hold tension. They can hold the imperfection and perfection, and they can hold groups together, and they can hold... Just think of somebody who's holding it equally. All together. That's the one's gift. And they do it with a sense of principle and conscientiousness and serene, even as they're holding heavy things. Okay? Um, what are some ways to get into the anchored self? I'm just going to... Can I ask a question? Yeah. You're probably going to get to this later and you're going to fuss at me, but which of the archetypes is that? You know, it would take a, a, a sage over here to ask that question just before I got... You were presaging it, weren't you? I was. You were presaging the next slide. Okay. Brilliant. See, this is what... This is, this is Troy. Brilliant. Um, on the, the getting into the anchored self, I'm going to read these out loud. It's, if you're a one, I'm speaking to you, learn to relax. Realize that people change at different paces. Ones are notorious for changing super, super quickly. Uh, or they think they are, and they expect other people to change that quickly too. Become a servant leader and ask them what they need. Because people are changing a different, instead of judging them, ask what they need to on their journey. Because they will know. People will know. Ask yourself, does self-criticism help you feel peace and belonging? Like, how's that working for you, says Dr. <laughs> Phil. Um, get in touch with your feelings, not just existing in the, the resentment of the ideal you have versus the reality that is. And when you are angry at others, realize, my friends, that you are angry at yourself first. So quit shooting on yourself and shooting on everybody else. <laughs> okay. Um, that, my friends, is what I think the archetype of the one is. It is the father archetype. It holds it all together. It's both principled and nurturing. Um, can uh, deal out consequences that are compassionate. We're talking about the anchored self-level here, okay? Now, really quickly, I'm going to ask uh, Dr. T over here to, I have lots of nicknames, I'm sorry, I'll just be talking about them all night. Um, if you could share a quick snippet of, remind people what the father archetype is. The father gets his greatest sense of value and fulfillment in providing, protecting the brood. 
those underneath him. Yeah. Sounds like a type one to me, holding it all together. Okay. Now, if you're a female one, um, hey, we're all male and female on the inside. Jung, in fact, you know what Jung said? Jung said that the fulfillment of a human being is to synthesize, to consummate, to marry the male and female in each person so that on the inside, you become, in a sense, a dynamic androgyny. There's a dynamic androgyny or androgynous sort of sense, uh, maybe not necessarily on the outside, but on the inside, there's, there's a way in which um, a male is comfortable with the female principle and vice versa. Okay, and there's an androgynous fullness, a plenum that's on the inside at the, if you're doing it right, if you're in your anchored self. The type two. Now, there's probably 95% of us out here are type twos. Just kidding, I don't know. Um, in this room, any type twos? Two, three, I'm, I'm, I'm here. So, yeah, when I did mine, it was like, Four of them that were all the same, about the same yeah. size. You see how, see how integrated you are, though? Yeah. <laughs> um, very anchored self. Okay, I'm a two as well, so I'm outing myself, and I'm going to make fun of myself a little bit, so I'm going to make fun of you, too. <laughs> um, helper, healer, giver. All right? The twos at the early stage were affirmed. To at the at when they were able to anticipate mommy or daddy's needs and get in there and help them, uh, we were the ones that the friends would come to and you know talk to you about you know because they've got problems. A natural person to come and vent to. Um, we get our needs met by helping and healing other people, but it's done because we ourselves have no idea what the heck we need. <laughs> At the floating self level, twos are feeling all kinds of feelings, but they're feeling other people's feelings and not their own, oftentimes. And so you have to help twos, what do you need? And that was like, well, I need my husband to do this. As, no, that's not what I said. So what do you need? And then sometimes it's the tears because they've never asked that question or been asked that question. They're always anticipating other people's needs. Um, so at the floating self level, pride, uh, manipul manipulative, and smothering, okay? Now, pride, <clears throat> you might be confused as to why pride is the great vice of the two. It's not pride insofar as uh, wow, look how proud I am. Man, I am so proud, and that's an ego issue. No, it's not that. Pride is more like an overestimation of my importance in your life. Translated, if it weren't for me in your life, your life would suck. <laughs> so be grateful, people. Do you see all the stuff that I do for you, and you can't do that for me? How many times have I heard in the counseling where a couples and someone, a two, would say, if you loved me, you should already know what I need. You should know what I want. If you really loved me, you should just know. 
To which I immediately, I'm on that like a fly on you know what. I didn't go there. Fly paper. Fly paper. He told me not to, to go into potty humor, so I'm not. I'm going to be really professional. Um, the thing is, is that uh, when, I, when I see that, I say, look, you know, just because you two, you as a two, have this gift of reading minds, and it is a gift, I'll be honest, you, twos are empathic by nature, because we put ourselves in the shoes of somebody else so well that it's just like almost a psychic thing, all right? But just because twos can do that doesn't mean any of the other types can. So it is unfair for a two to think that their spouse or partner can do that when likely they're not a two, because everybody has their gifts, and twos are the ones that can do that, okay? Um, manipulative, the idea for at the floating self level is that twos really want to be loved, liked and loved, because at the deepest level, there's a sense that we don't belong, and we have to earn our worthiness through giving. But if um, I can give to you, then you will love me or like me, and at least right now in this moment, as I'm giving to you, I know I belong in this role. That's the floating self-mask to not realize that I already belong, I'm grafted into Christ already, before I was even born. You know, So... Uh, that's the big transformative version for the two is to move down through liminal space. And we'll talk about the tips in a minute. Getting into the anchored self, the two is actually really humble. It's not an urgency to have to help. Because you'll know people that just like, give me something to do. Give me something to do. Help me help you. You know, uh, rather it is a humble awaiting and it's a, I want to help. Not I have to help. Feel the difference. Feel the shift there. Okay. There's a real freedom. The two wants the freedom. The two wants to have emotional freedom, and they think that serving and helping will buy that, but it won't. Getting to your anchored self and not realizing you have to help is the freedom that a two is looking for. Twos are very good at unconditional loving when they're in their anchored self, and twos walk with. Solidarity is what twos excel at. You all do it. We all have twos in us, right? Two is all, you all are twos at some level, but twos make a really beautiful diamond-like art form of solidarity. All right, tips to get through the liminal space. It is not selfish to meet your own needs. So twos, I am talking to you. Um, what are your motives in helping someone? Always ask, that really has helped me ask that question. What's my motive here, honestly? What's my floating self gain of power, prestige, and possessions? Ask people what they need. Don't assume. You might, you're probably going to be right. I mean, honestly, you're going to be right, but you might as well ask and empower them. So play the game, people. Um, let it be. Do not remind people of all you do for them. Okay? Because when we have that tendency, trust me, that is 100% your floating self. You are in your floating self in that moment. Twos need to spend time alone to detach from the energetic threads that pull. Spend time alone, and if you've never done that before, come to Retreat House, and you can learn how to do it. Um, also, centering prayer is very helpful. Learn self-compassion. 
So do write this down if you are memorize it, but go to um, YouTube and type in Kristen Neff. Kristen K R I S T I N. Kristen Neff, N E F F. Self compassion. That's for all the types, but twos really need this. I use self compassion techniques as outlined by um, Dr. Neff all the time with myself and with my clients. Learn to recognize affection and good wishes of others towards you. Twos are real good at giving, real bad at receiving, because it takes an act of humility to receive. Twos, learn how to recognize the affection and good wishes of others towards you, because you actually do deserve it, and you have a need to receive. So trust that. The two is the companion. Okay, walks with Troy, companion archetype. Uh, You have one job, Troy. I have one job. (laughs) The uh, companion gets the greatest sense of fulfillment and value from accompanying others and in being accompanied. Sounds like a two to me. Mm -hmm. All right. Tres. Um, Type three is the achiever, ambitious, and a human doer. They're not human beings, they're human doings. <laughs> All right. Type threes are um, there in their floating self is deceit. And their floating self, they're untrustworthy, really. Car salesmen, car, bad cars, people who sell bad cars. <laughs> there we go. Uh, untrustworthy, narcissistic at their unhealthy levels. Um, and their deceit is not actively lying. It's not an overt kind of deceiving because they want to be a lot smoother than that. They're smooth operators. Ooh, smooth talkers, you know? But they are deceiving by exaggerating their image. They're shinier than they really are. So threes have developed an image. You buy the image and they maintain the image. Um, and they lose track of who the heck they are behind the image, okay? And threes have to spend a lot of time in their floating self just to maintain that polished image. It's really tough. And America, by the way, the United States is a three country, uh, often said. So what looks like we are succeeding in our country is absolutely succeeding according to the rules of the floating self of three, energy doesn't mean that it's actually moving towards wisdom so just want to throw that out there the anchored self uh, of the three is honesty because they're always trying to deceive themselves and others and when they're in their anchored self they know that's their tendency so they can be radically and by radically that means actually rooted it's latin for rootedness radical means rooted rooted honesty Okay, deep integrity. You can trust a three who has done their work. You can trust a three who is a recovering whatever. Uh, typically, because that's what the whatever their addiction it got them out of their floating self and into their anchored self, and then they're, they're going to be kind of a um, a master at integrity. They're going to be efficient. Oh, they'll get things done. They're going to run circles around you, um, and they're going to do it well. Because that's their gift to the world. 
They're God's hands. See? The twos are God's heart, if you will. The ones are God's stare. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> staring. Uh, God's wisdom and, and um, head, maybe. Okay, so we're going to move to uh, the adaptable. Twos, uh, threes can be very adaptable. They can be flexible. And they'll do so with a kind of uh, ease that makes us think, how do you grease the wheels this easily? <laughs> how do you get into the anchored self if you are a three? Well, <clears throat> realize that real success means being honest, not deceitful. Go out of your way to connect with someone you care about. A lot of threes are so busy doing that they have neglected depth for so long that at some point during their midlife crisis, which will almost, it was invented by threes, four threes, <laughs> midlife crisis, they will go into a midlife crisis and they realize they've never figured out who they are. But th at this point, they don't know who their spouse is, their partner, um, and their kids have grown up without them actually being present, even though they're in private schools. If I was a three, I would never tell you. <laughs> uh, that's okay. I can read your mind since I'm a two. <laughs> um, take breaks. Threes, you're exhausted, and you, and you just don't know it. You know, take a nap, go in the sauna. Um, ask who is that person behind the mask I project, or is that project, or that is projected upon me? Threes are always projecting their image out there, so you buy it, um, or they're accepting the polished, beautiful image that you're projecting upon the three, and neither of them are the real person. See, learn the power of saying yes and. As in, yes, I'll do that, and I'll not be able to do that other thing. For a three, that sounds almost heretical. It's sort of like a two saying, um, I'm actually not going to help. <laughs> I give that sometimes to my clients who are twos. Like, your homework this week is to actually like think you need to help and then sit on your hands and not. And write about it and bring it in. We'll talk about it. Um, so for threes... Uh, yes, I can do that thing for this agency, but I'm not going to do the other thing. Learn about the two halves of life, or you will just repeat the first half over again. Hint, the rules change in the second half of life. The first half of life is about building up your floating self, because you need to have some good successes and some good images. And the second half of life is giving it away, giving away your gifts giving away your talents, building a beautiful place for the, the people to come in the world. See? Uh, but if a, if a three doesn't learn how to move into the second half of life, they just repeat the, the, the same thing. And you'll know people are 70 or 80 years old and they're just still teenagers, really, repeating the first half of life. You'll see that. Okay, the three, in my opinion, is the Amazon. The Amazon. All right. Troy, if you wouldn't mind letting us know what the Amazon is, please. Amazon receives her greatest sense fulfillment and value in managing achievements in the outside world. Sounds like a three to me. 
Now, Gwen um, has, I guess when you were younger, you might have been a little Amazon-y, or that's the going rumor by your husband. I don't know, was he mansplaining you? I don't know. Uh, but if you wouldn't mind, could you give us just a brief synopsis that maybe that was a place where you started, but then you've moved to some depths now where you're seeing a lot of other stuff. Take it away. Okay. Uh, yes, I, um, I had a good deal of Amazon in my uh, early adulthood and uh, was very organized, you know, had goal, lots of goals, um, but I think I was blessed in having, um, first of all, having Sage for a husband because he helped me figure out who I was fairly early and uh, also because of life experiences. Um, I had children that I, I needed to use my Amazon uh, traits with and that worked pretty well so I kind of developed some mother and, in me. and then I, uh, I had some friends who were uh, mediatrix and these are the kind of young women that I would have never wanted to associate with because they kind of scared me. But I was given this blessing and gift of, of having them in my life and, and to a place where I, uh, I could begin to understand them and uh, appreciate how they were different from me. And so that also changed me and I, and I began to um, embrace a lot of their traits and and I, I continue to grow in that area and of course friends in general uh, will help you create the companion and I had uh, I have had a number of really good close friends um, not a lot but you know many enough that I was able to uh, learn how to be a companion and really appreciate that in my life so I my take on all this is that that my strength which is Amazon was my starting place and then life experience and if you live long enough and you lean into those life experiences um, it will I think kind of naturally help you move and grow into all of the others yeah, and Amazon would say that. <laughs> Just kidding. Very well said. Thank you. I hope that you get from her incredibly efficient um, way, competent way to say that is <clears throat> when you are in your anchored self, okay, you have access to all of the types, whether it's types or whether it's archetypes, you're going to have access to that. Now, I would like to just put this little plug in there, and that is to say um, you can live into the different types the way Gwen was just talking about, sort of without trying to. You know, you, you kind of unconsciously live into the flow of different things and you pick up, uh, you introject is the psychological word, the different energies. Um, or, and, and or, you could also be more intentional about it. So the more you're in your anchored self, for example, my native anchored self uh, is a two, which actually moves into the four. So this is more Enneagram higher level. And we won't get into this now. Uh, maybe, maybe Retreat House would want to do something at, at a deeper level of the Enneagram. But 
I'm more of like a two e four or four e two. I kind of in the flow of the two and four. But when I'm in that, I can intentionally put on the eight, and and that's good. I need to have that warrior eight thing. I don't like conflict normally, uh, but when I have to make a phone call to get the people that didn't fix, but I paid a lot of money to get back, I and I do. It's, I'm not going to call it a ritual. I'm not, you know, doing any kind of dancing or anything, but um, could. But what I do is I I do center myself and I. I like gestures. I'm Catholic. You know, I, what am I going to say? It's all about the body and moving stuff. So um, I put on almost like an energetic vesper, an energetic um, vest, vest, vestiture. Is that the what, 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 vestment? Vestment. vestment, an energetic vestment on, and I energetically infuse warrior eight energy in me, and I feel it because I'm a mediatrix soul, so I can just like chameleon my way into this energetically. And I will be the warrior who will have a backbone and will not back down if I need to. But that's not my native spot, so I gotta take it off and then resume my um, little helpy, helpy self. Okay, moving on. The four, Um, we are, the four here are the rarest of the types and they like that because they think they're pretty the bomb. Uh, they're an individualist, <laughs> bohemian, aristocrat, artist, the hopeless romantic, you know, um, and they are elite. They see, they, they do exist at deeper levels than most other humans. Uh, they really do. And they see most other humans as just kind of sheeple. They're just up there. They're at the depth of here, and everybody else is at the surface of here, and they, you know, like, how could you walk by that flower that just made it out of the concrete? Don't you realize that that is the symbol of life? This weed grows from the hardness of the concrete and will not be shut down. Amen. You just walk right by it. I can't believe all you people. I can't believe I'm in this world with you. Says the floating self four. All right. The truth is, if you really want to know, they're all envious. That's their sin. That's their vice. Envy. They're jealous of you mundane people that just make life look easy. Relationships are easy for you. For the four, it is, oh, the way you raised an eyebrow to me is going to invoke this poetry. Because it reminds me of, of the very brokenness of the depths of my soul. Anyways, um, they're envious of how things are so easy for most other people. They wish they were that way, honestly. And then they also don't. So there's this tension they have. Um, and they can be super self-absorbed. I mean, some of the most narcissistic people are fours. Just like, oh my God, get out of yourself. Life is not all about you. And just because they looked that way at you doesn't mean you're just a piece of filth. that You, ha- you know, I mean, it's like, let's get out. Um, and, and because they feel energy so much, it's like a constant bombardment of energy and they're always seeking the depth of things, the depth always, that's the energy they want to live in but they can't handle the superficial chaotic buzz that's everywhere. So they end up often being avoidant, kind of avoidant personality because what better company than me? (laughs) 
Um, and they have a depressive personality. They often hate the fact that they're depressed, but they wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> because that actually gets them to do their art and their, you know, uh, being able to see that weed that's making it through the crack, because that's how they always feel. You know, I'm, I'm making it through this, this humanity. Now, when they can go through the liminal space, they, well, okay, let's talk about the anchored self and then we'll talk about the liminal space. So in their anchored self, it's equanimity. That's a term that means um, all pistons are firing. They're ontologically incredibly stable. They know who they are. They're, they have no doubt they're connected to the divine reality. Like fours are the way, fours gift to the world is to become living portals or to create living portals of the divine universal Christ, if I'll be use that Christian term, and bring it out so the rest of us can see it and have access to a universal reality through um, some level of icon. That's, that's a singularity. See, fours do that. Uh, and at the equanimity level, at the anchored self level, they, can, they know they're special and they know you're special and then you may not know it and that's okay for them. They'll be connected with you. So there's a way that they're super grounded at the anchored self level. They're also self-renewing. At the floating self level, they're constantly needing to plug in their power. What's that? Uh, nothing. I'm just trying to anticipate. Go ahead. Ah. Um, they're self-renewing. They are pulling from reality itself. That's their power. They're pulling from that instead of the battery going dry. They engage in the outer world. Fours hate paying bills. They hate paying taxes. Uh, they hate having to do all the, you know, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God is what is God. Screw that, Jesus. I'm giving it all to God and I'm not giving anything to Caesar, you know? Uh, that's, but the anchored self four will engage with the outer world. Okay. And they actually, at that point, at their anchored self level, are a balanced oracle. Because they mediate, you get it? They mediate the divine with the world. They are the, the gateways, the portals, the fours are, okay? But it, boy, does it take a long time for them to get into their anchored self if they do. All right. How you get there is realize your feelings are not a true source of support for you. Fours make the mistake of thinking everything they feel is objective reality. It's not. Uh, avoid putting off things until you are in the right mood. <laughs> Quote, in the right mood. Um, you will never be together enough to engage in the world. So just do it now. Okay. <laughs> Develop a wholesome self-discipline. Fours never want to commit to something, especially if it's with the body. Uh, but boy, does that help fours if they can. Avoid lengthy conversations in your imagination, especially if overly romantic. Just get over it, you know. <laughs> Self-compassion can help, so practice that. And look for the beauty that is always and everywhere present. It's not really that gray, and neither are you. Uh, cloudy, you know, Eeyore is your patron saint, so you don't have to be Eeyore all the time. Listen, learn to listen to others, compliment others, honor others, serve others. 
This will get you out of your own inner world. Okay? What is the archetype? The mediatrix. Yeah, I, I've never known any mediatrixes with a flowing self like that. Mine have, they're, they're so beaten down by the world and tend, they tend to so self-criticize that grandiosity is not really anything I've ever seen. So I'm sort of surprised by this description. Oh, okay. Um, that's not been my experience. My experience that uh, all mediatrix, most mediatrix people that I've ever met are, are fours. And when you ask the questions that are, let's say, informed by some of the Enneagram wisdom, you're going to get their responses of, um, I am beaten down, and maybe they even believe their worthlessness at some point, but they started out with a sense of, a very good, beautiful sense of being a divine child, you know? But the world is a hard, hostile place for a sensitive soul like that, so they get pushed down. But if you were to dig there, they would find they would say that they have that intuition still somewhere. Um, but maybe at the level because you were in psychiatry and you would see them at a level that was probably so hurt that you probably didn't see that. So I can respect that. Um, <clears throat> read about the Oh, oh, yes. Sorry. Thank you. So the mediatrix gets her uh, sense of fulfillment and value from mediating the world of spirit and the unconscious, the rest of us. Yep. There's that mediatrix, that oracle. By the way, I can already tell you, um, I should have said this at the beginning, I'm anticipating this going about 15 minutes past, um, but we are all about hospitality here, so if you need to leave, that is okay. Um, I will send out the eights to find out where you live, though. <laughs> Just kidding. Okay, we're moving to um, the five. <clears throat> the five is the investigator, the quiet specialist, the observer. Think of Sherlock Holmes, very interested in details and facts. Um, very interested in outlines, philosophies, systems, theological philosophical systems. They investigate, they keep digging. And it's a beautiful thing to be friends with a five. I really value my friendship with Troy because he balances out my two four, which is feeling, feeling, feeling and intuition. And he, he brings in a kind of a scientist thing about it that's not, re, not so informed by the emotions. And that's really helpful, so it's a balancing thing. Um, a quiet specialist. Fives don't have a need to be out in the middle. Uh, they play bass guitar in life, mm -hmm. if you will. The floating self uh, labels would be greed, stingy, aloof schizoid or avoidant personalities. These are at the more extreme. The greed is not about greed of money. They, they could care less. Think of Scrooge as the archetype. I mean, Scrooge liked money, but did he do anything with it? No, it was just the sense of counting and ritual and power. Um, but he lived a really super minimalist life in lots of ways, it was just him. Uh, it's really greed for knowledge, details, 
information, that is where the greed is. So oftentimes you will see fives um, who will ask you questions about yourself, but they don't offer much information about themselves. Why? Because knowledge is power. And I don't want you to have any power over me. So I'm not going to share much about myself, but I sure as heck want to know a lot about you. And it's really not in the service of me having a relationship with you. I could kind of care less about that. It's more about, hmm, that's interesting. Just something else for me to ponder on in my great bank of ideas. That's at the floating self. Okay, They can be kind of aloof. At their anchored self level, <clears throat> engages and they're non-attached. Put that in, in your pipe and smoke it. Engaged and not attached. Like that's a cool tension, right? But fives can do that at the anchored self level. They will be engaged in something. Um, like a scientist is engaged at their art or their, their science, say, and they could spend years on it and they're intrigued. But there's a healthy level of non-attachment. Their ego is not so attached to this. They, they can be right or wrong. Let's let the science drive it kind of thing, you see, at their anchored self level. They're, they can be very warm. Now, floating self fives are very cold. They, they're almost like black holes. They literally suck the energy in the room. But anchored self fives are very warm and they give energy. Now, I, I do want to say to fives, all fives, is just because you might feel warmth towards somebody, your face and body language is going to be stole, stone cold fox. I mean, just like straight up can't read it unless you, you actually have to emote through your face or body language for the rest of us humans to get inside what you're actually feeling. So that's an invitation for all fives. Guilty. <laughs> um, but see, I'm just your energy is so warm, it's like a nice toasty fire. <laughs> then we fives are at the anchored self, very open-minded. At their floating self, closed-minded. Man, they know the answer. There's three that they they are real sure. They're know-it-alls. At the anchored self level, they know that they don't know. They sit in that mystery. They know what they know, and they know that they don't know. <laughs> and so there's this healthy sense of Open up the windows, baby. Let's get some fresh air in here. They have a sense of holistic seeing at their anchored self level. They can see in macro ways. Now, to get into your anchored self, if you're a five, is to realize you often replace direct experience with concepts. Fives will often have relationships with books or characters in the books, as if they're real people, while in the real world they have no relationships, they're very few. And they may think they're warm, but if you were to ask the other person what kind of relationship you have, we barely engage, you see. Um, it's okay to not know. Get used to the unknowing nature of mystery, if you're a five. If you're five, notice when you're thinking and speculating takes you out of immediate experience. So actually act, not just speculate all the time. Get hands on with something. Gardening is really good. Um, giving people massages is really good. You know, something hands on for a five is your salvation. Trusting people can bring deep fulfillment. 
for fives. Learn to recognize others' body language. Now that's not natural for a lot of fives. So you gotta put on your science hat if you're a five and just go at it and just start observing humans. It's like, well, if I were a human, how would I act <laughs> in this space? <laughs> if I weren't a, just a human head, but like the whole being, how would I act? Um, so be a scientist in that. <clears throat> Develop awareness about social cues. Uh, let people know you care for them. Use words. Actually say things like, I love you. <laughs> or say things like, um, uh, thank you for being in my life. I'm really grateful. I mean, if you want a better marriage or a better partnership or you want your kids to develop a full sense of self, if you're a five, get used to caring, loving words because they mean something to every other type except eights. They don't give a crap what anybody thinks, but anyways, <laughs> we'll get to that. <laughs> and I love eights, kind of. So now we're going to get to um, what is the, what is it? Sage. sage. If you look up sage archetype in Google, you'll see Troy's picture. So you can go right there. Just kidding. Uh, what is a sage? They receive they get the deepest sense of fulfillment and value from drawing forth meaning for themselves and others. Okay. Especially in complicated diagrams that they like to put up there. <laughs> yes, they are. I was channeling my inner five, my inner sage, my inner Troy when I made this diagram. But okay, moving to six. You sixes are supposed to be the most populous of all of us humans. Not sure if that's true, but I've been told. Sixes are the loyalists, the devil's advocate, the skeptic. They're always seeking clarity. So if you come up after this and ask me questions, I'm automatically going to know you're a six. Just kidding. <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm a six. I think I'm a six. What do you think? See, the thing about sixes is they're projecting their power all the time on, on whom they think are authorities. And when I, sixes are kind of easy after I smoke a little bit on the side and then I can deal with it. I'm just kidding. Total, that, was a, that was a joke. Total joke. Um, sixes in therapy, I can, they come to therapy. Twos and sixes can come to therapy a lot because they really do. They don't like the this the anxiety they feel and that's how they usually feel it um, when they come to therapy if I'm working with a six if they ask me what I think or what they should do I'm the absolute archetype of the counselor like I always stroke the beard and I say well what do you think you should do <laughs> and I and believe it or not the sixes are like oh that's a good question <laughs> the rest are like ma'am I came here to ask your opinion but the um, the sixes really do need to be invited to explore their own power uh, because they're projecting it. Now, <clears throat> at their floating self, it is fear. It's constant fear, constant anxiety, general anxiety disorder all um, at the floating self level. And they do have a sense of cowardice. It's because it's like, I, I don't want to do it. I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to stand up. I don't want to do anything that will call, call attention, you see? They have incredibly high levels of anxiety and they don't know it. 
So you have a lot of sixes who have lots of uh, psychosomatic stuff. And uh, if you ask them, are you anxious? No, I'm not anxious at all. You know, just <clears throat> they're moving around, squirming. Um, now I've been squirming here, so you guys probably think I'm being very sexy, which I think I am very sexy. Uh, they are paranoid also. Sixes can be very paranoid, and um, they're always thinking about the shadow behind the scenes. So uh, conspiracy theory, I'm not saying there's nothing, I'm not saying there's nothing to that, okay? Um, I'm not throwing this idea that there are things that we don't know. I think there are. And sixes will almost only focus on that because they're constantly thinking about what is going to go wrong or what is wrong right now, but no one else is seeing that. And they're the devil's advocate. They're the skeptic. They're seeking clarity. And they keep digging, digging, digging. And what ends up happening is they can actually move into fanaticism. Sheer and utter fanatics of whatever their um, muse is okay, at the, at the floating self level. So QAnon, all of that stuff would be very, very six-ish. Um, we're moving into the anchored self. And we've got courage interdependency they they at the at the floating self they can be very codependent at the anchored self they know who they are as an individual and they're choosing to be dependent in a mutual vulnerability in an exchange of vulnerability with somebody else they have an internal locus of control their sense of control in their life is uh, coming from inside maybe they can't control everything on the outside but they can control their reaction and they're, they're very aware of that. They're not projecting anymore. They're grounded, um, they're reliable, and they're the protector. So they are protecting um, things. John Stewart, for example, is he, he's often seen as a type six. And I remember he hosted some kind of um, community for people to come together in Washington, D.C. I can't remember what it was called. It was a few years ago. Does anybody remember what it was called? Anyways, he was so nervous about having all these humans together. He's like, I just wanted to hire truckloads of Purell so that people could protect themselves from the germs, you know, and uh, they do protect. Okay. So what are, oh, liminal space. If you're a six, I'm speaking to you. If you are present, then your anxiety can be energizing to get things done. So use your, in, your anxiety and be present to it, and that can actually motivate you to get things done. Learn to trust yourself and external authority at the same time. So the tricycle idea of experience being the, the wheel, the big wheel, and then the two wheels in the back, in a Christian standpoint, could be like scripture and tradition. What's important is the experience wheel. That's, that's what you're driving on. So trust yourself and external authority at the same time. Others very likely think better of you than you realize. And your fears tell more about your attitudes towards others. So recognize that about your fears. Your fears are actually, your fears about other people actually tell yourself, if you're listening, more about your attitude towards others. 
When you are anxious or stressed, keep your opinions to yourself helps your relationships. <laughs> Sixes will feel like they have to just tell you something they're worried about. I am just so worried about this. And because I love you, I'm going to share this. And the other person says, this is why we don't come over a lot. <laughs> so you want to have better relationships? Go to the bathroom. Talk to that person in the bathroom. Do some jumping jacks. Come back out. Assume the only position and shut up. <laughs> just kidding. Not really. So watch your tendency to project and displace. If you're a six, watch your tendency to project your own fears onto other people. Okay? Where does the high level of loyalty come from in a six? Sixes are the most loyal of any of the type. They will be loyal to you forever. They will be loyal to their children. They will fight for you. Um, they're beautiful. And they're loyal to, in, to their tradition. We need tradition. Tradition are often meted by sixes, six energy. We people, we, uh, this group does it this way. We have a tradition that is very good. That is all six. They're very loyal to that. At the anchored self level, they're loyal to the spirit of the tradition. And they see um, the spirit as informing the changing of the external world. So you're not going to take it. We have to do exactly this all the same just because it was done like that 2,000 years ago or something like that. An anchored self six will be tradition, will be very loyal to um, what is understood by the tradition in light of today's times. Okay. What archetype is that? The mother. Protector. Okay. Um, I know my, my wife's cousins are Jewish and they often, I, they, I've taught them the Enneagram. They often talk about, they all, when we talked about the six, they all looked at mom. <laughs> so, she's like, yep, Jewish moms. So I'm not saying all Jew, but she said Jewish moms. That's what she said. So. Uh, anyways, we're going to move now to the sevens. You sevens are fun. The enthusiasts, the adventurer. The visionary sevens are constantly living atop, atop the mountain. Infinite horizons, 360 view, but they don't want to come down the mountain and actually have to get working in the valley. So sevens will often spend their whole life in the mountain and they actually don't ever grow roots. That's if the floating self. Gluttony, that's their vice. Gluttony, not in the sense of food, 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 although, you know, who likes a good meal? Sevens would be the first one in line. But it's really a gluttony about life. Experiences all the time. They just want experiences. Um, <clears throat> at the anchored self, a floating self level, they can be shallow, restless. They can have kind of a histrionic personality way about them. Uh, oh, just constant movement and drama and... The center of attention. They, they love to be the center of attention. Very, very 70 right now. Um, but there is not a depth with the floating self seven. And they can kind of seem bipolar. They're not all, I'm not saying they're bipolar, but they can seem bipolar. So there's a manic level, and then there is a down level. 
And when they're bored, that leads to depression. At the anchored self level, there is a sober joy. So it's, it's basically life after the crucifixion, not life before the crucifixion. Seven spend their life running away from their the places of pain and inside themselves. So they will often want the joy and they want to take a nonstop flight into the resurrection or the ascension, but they, they can't. So they end up just seeing where the pain is and then going back and never going into the liminal space or never into the new room. They stay in the old room. But they can have grounded optimism. If you know a seven who's grounded, they are very optimistic, but they're realist. And they're very flexible and playful. Children love sevens. They love sevens. And, and sevens will be the one getting on the ground and playing with the kids because that's kind of their inner child, you know? The, um, to get down into the anchored self, if, if you're a seven, recognize your impulsiveness. Let most of your impulses pass. Learn to really listen to others and realize you do not have to have everything this very moment. Right? Preference quality over quantity. Sevens will make that uh, mistake. Become friends with your shadow, uh, fear, anxiety, and early trauma. Often sevens will be whistling in the dark all their life and never actually looking at the dark inside themselves. And then learn to commit to something or someone. Sevens often run away, run away instead of committing and growing roots. So that's something I always ask sevens to do. What is the archetype for the seven? The seeker. All right. Troy, would you mind? Yeah, I was going to say my seven daughter had the hardest time with COVID because uh, it's hard to get that stimulation for, for her. Um, a seeker finds the greatest sense of fulfillment and value in search for identity and fulfillment itself. Yep, sounds like a seven to me. Okay, so we have eight and nine. And then we have some really cool graphics after that, so stick around. <clears throat> the eight. The eight is the challenger, the boss, the active controller. Right? That's kind of the title. At the floating self level, eights are dictators of families or countries, okay? And they, they are hated by other people often, um, or are very much um, disliked. And believe it or not, that doesn't bother eights too much <laughs> because they like conflict. Conflict for an eight feels like intimacy at the floating self level, believe it or not. Uh, <clears throat> Their vice is lust, and it's not just um, sexuality, it's lust in terms of possession. So it can include sexual possession, but they objectify people and things, and then they want to own people and things. They want to be the king. They want to have their little castle. So you'll have somebody who um, has a pool and like an entire place in their backyard so that their people are taken care of, but also they wield the power. 
You can kind of see that. At the floating self level, they are really into vengeance. Sevens or eights can be incredibly cruel, and they will get revenge. You cannot win, period. You cannot win an argument with an unhealthy eight. It will never, ever, ever. I don't care if you have a PhD in public speaking. You will lose against an eight, because what eights do at the unhealthy level is if they feel threatened or they're lo- that they're losing something, some argument or whatever, they pull back and then they spring for the jugular at an ad hominem attack, some attack about you as a person, because they know where your jugular is and they go right for that just so that they can win something, they, you know, and then they don't realize that you, you know, the other person's just hurting, just like, that was so painful. I can't believe you said that was the worst thing. And then the eight will say, I have no idea what you're so sensitive about. We were just talking. That, you know, not taking any responsibility of their dialogue, but really it's everybody else's. You guys are all too thin skinned. You should be more like me. Um, their authoritarianism uh, at, at its work, it's just bad, you know, my way or the highway. And they create closed systems, families or countries. Um, and they always end up, always, 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 unless they're paying people to stay, they end up alone, self-alienation, at the floating self-love. Because who can stand them? Uh, at their, <laughs> honestly. And eights will be like, yep, yep, you're right, man. I, I'll tell you this, I never talk to anybody else except eights this way, but when I have a client, I have a decent relationship with uh, an eight. Um, if I see, because they're, they're BS artists, you know, total BS artists. And so they'll be talking to me and I'll just say, you know, all of what you just said for the past five minutes is total bullshit. And they'll be like, thank you. <laughs> You're right. You're like the only person who's ever called me on it. Like that, that for them is like, dude, I just got your respect and they'll, they'll hang out. Um, but if I said that to a two or something, it'd be like, no, I can't believe I'm paying for this. Anyways, with eights, you can get very, very uh, indirect. At their anchored self, they're innocent. There's almost like a childlike innocence to everything. Wow, isn't this wonderful? You know, beautiful. They're truthful at all costs. I mean, they're going to be truthful even more than threes are often. They're very pastoral. So the best shakers and movers that you've ever can think of that have done good in the world are almost always eights. Martin Luther King. Richard Rohr and others say that Paul of the Bible was an eight. Because who else would have the arrogance to think they would change the whole world by a few communities here and there? But, but also not just the arrogance, but the ability, to, the, the sheer confidence you know, in his own uh, connection with God to do that. It's just an eight kind of thing. Servant leaders. Eights can be the best servant leaders because the best compliment you could ever give an eight, they, they do not want your praise. They don't trust it. They do not care if you say, great job. They don't care. They're not doing it for you. But if you're a mentee, someone they're shepherding, and you succeed, and even if you never say thank you, that is the greatest compliment in eight will ever get. That's all they want, is their 
people that they shepherd to grow and flourish and become who they truly are. Like that is the greatest thing for me. Uh, and they're forbearing. That's a wonderful term, and I, I think we should bring it back to English, America English, to be a forbearer. To forbear is to forgive life in and as, as it is right now, and to hold it all together. And, and almost like you're in permanent liminal space with life, you forbear it. Um, to get into the anchored self if you're an eight, your real power is, in, is inspiring and uplifting others. Learning to really listen to others will actually empower you in the long run. Eights will often already cut you off in their mind, or they'll just literally cut you off because they don't really care what you have to say, because they think that is asserting their power. What I'm saying is if you want to get into your anchor self and you're an eight, listen. Become active listeners. Many people look up to you, eights, your leaders naturally, so be mindful of what kind of leadership you are displaying with your energy and behavior. You can be four foot three and be a great leader. Mother Teresa apparently was an eight. Um, remember that people won't remember what you said as much as you, how you made them feel. So be very mindful of that all the times, but especially in eight. And learning how to be vulnerable is your price to pay for the life you want to create for yourself and others. Eights will move away from vulnerability at their floating self level. No weakness, no thank you. But at their anchored self level, you can't get to anchored self unless you've learned to be vulnerable. So eights, that is your key. That's your salvation. What is the eight archetype? The warrior. They get their... Uh sense of fulfillment and value in accomplishments in the outside world. Now, you may think right now that there is no place for the nine. Will the real nines please stand up kind of thing? Like, where are you? It's okay because nines like to be forgotten. So I just, you know, I'm going to end it right now. Just kidding. Um, what I think where the archetype of the nine is, is, well, let's go over the nine first, then I'll tell you where the archetype is. So the nine is the adaptive peacemaker, the mediator, okay? Nine's really good at bringing people together. Um, at their floating self level, they, their vice is sloth. Now, my wife is a nine, and um, she knows that I always talk about her in Enneagram trainings, and I say sometimes, Kelly, you know, and she knows Enneagram, you sure are being slothy right now. <laughs> I just like that word, slothy. It's like, yeah, well, you're kind of being manipulative, Doug. Um, actually, the Enneagram is really fun to learn as, as a couple because you can help each other and you can make fun of each other and it's fun. Sloth is not laziness per se, although they do make a habit out of procrastination. Never met a nine that wasn't really into that procrastination thing, but it's really existential laziness. In other words, it's often that they're sitting on a treasure of potential and why bother? Because I don't have much of an ego to do much with it. All of you other types want to just do a bunch of stuff with all these gifts you have, but why stand when you can sit? And why sit when you can lay down? <laughs> and that's my life motto if I'm a nine. Nines can be passive aggressive. 
So they control or manipulate by not engaging. Um, and they can be extremely stubborn. They're more stubborn than eights. I have nines are often more stubborn than eights. They're like the mule that the donkey that doesn't move, and you like pull them and they don't move. Um, why? Because they want comfort at all costs. And if they have to engage, if they have to leave the old room and that's uncomfortable, why in the heck would I do that? I don't have to prove anything. You'll have the nine who is makes barely passes any of the classes and then they take the SAT and they're like a perfect score. And everybody's surprised. Except them and like, dude, I knew that all along. You know? Um, they are artists of being numb, numbing out. Because think of the turtle that goes into the shell. Reality's hard. Nines go right into their shell and they just stay there. So they can almost become catatonic, like not even moving. And they can be stuck. Okay? Um, at their anchored self level, mindful action. My wife, honestly, not just saying that because I cut her down with a slothy thing. She is the healthiest nine I've ever met. Um, she is incredibly uh, action-oriented when she writes a list. She writes a list better than anybody I know, and she checks it off, and she loves it. She's fully present. You know, nines can be fully present in the moment because nobody does mindfulness, honestly, like full-body engagement, heart, mind, body, all at one place in the very depth of now, better than nines. Um, they can be greatly content with very little. Nines are wonderful to have as mates, bosses, when they're in their anchored self and their floating self, forget about it. But <laughs> they. Um, um, his wife is an academic uh, physician who writes papers and gives lectures, and so she is. Yeah. She accomplishes a lot. Harvard Medical School, and. Yeah. Kelly, I love you if you listen to this, which I know you won't because you don't like this stuff. Um, you're nine, that's why you're very sloppy. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so they transform. They transform themselves. They transform others, nines, and they grow. At their anchored self level, nines want to grow. At their floating self level, they do everything they possibly can to not grow, including Man, you don't like the way I drink? Get out, get away. I don't even want to be married to you. I mean, including losing everything for the sake of not growing. And a lot, a lot of times, nines will do that. So, moving into their, how do you navigate the um, liminal space? If you're a nine, examine if you go along with others just to keep the peace and be nice. Often, nines avoid conflict, so sometimes nine have to speak up. Become an active participant in the world around you. We need you, nines. We want you to engage the world. Recognize that you have aggressions and anxieties and feelings you need to deal with. Often nines' cool, peace, laid-backness is kind of at the service of squelching and just numbing out from maybe their anxieties and anger that they actually feel. So allowing the feelings to come is important. Exercise. Nines do not often like to exercise at first because that requires something to be uncomfortable about. But once they can, they're really good. And then dealing with conflict is one of the best ways to grow. So, what is the archetype of the nine? Can you read between the lines? 
Here we go. We don't know. We don't know. The mystery grows. The archetype of the nine is the hero's journey. It's the whole darn thing. The nine is that part of you that actually does it, that actually moves, that actually goes through it. Okay? The nine is um, the, the archetypal Adam, uh, if you will, the, the first person that's just yawning and beginning to, to move in this human world and has to face their dragons. So, if you'll notice on the left side of this um, image, we have the archetypes as a little box at the very beginning. So the journey of the nine is often you can put on all the types. Try them out as clothes. And that's good for all of us too. But an anchored self nine can do that better than anybody else. And they're going to do it without the vices of the other types. So it's easier for nines, but getting through that liminal space is very hard for nines. And what happens? Well, the nine, you just keep on moving around, and then we all have to go through that journey, and then we circle right on back, and we all go through that journey again, and we circle right on back. A little out of sync there. And the thing is, is that that is for all of us. What can this look like? This is my last slide. Okay, so if you've gone the distance, we, we thank you for two hours of me talking. So I really appreciate this. Um, I would like to speculate this is actually what the journey looks like. If you look at the journey from the bottom to the top, we have a continual metanoia. It is a constant spiral of old self, liminal space, new self. Old self, liminal space, new self. And what can that look like if you're trying to use your imagination? It, it just keeps rotating and it gets wider and bigger. Your view of life gets more expansive as it keeps going up. Old self, liminal space, and new self. Okay, It just keeps on repeating bigger and, and, and you end up able... And I believe that this is the Christian journey. I think this is the perennial spiritual journey. Okay? So tonight we talked a lot, I talked a lot, about um, the actual hero's archetype. We packaged it up in the old room, liminal space, new room. Then we introduced the uh, true self, false self, as the anchored self and floating self. So you can see the difference of the two selves. And then we brought in the Enneagram so you can see the compulsions, the vices, and then what the anchored self looks like. Okay, so that's, I'm trying to synthesize three main teachings into one. And you were the victims of that. So, <laughs> but thank you for your attention. I really appreciate thank it. Thank you. Open up to questions at all, or sure. I mean, if people want to, um, I don't want to keep anybody. I, mean, it's... I have an observation that I'll just toss out yeah. there. So, when you took the uh, the line from left to right, mm -hmm. the journey, and you turned it vertically, yep, um, it made me think of time and being in the now, and so this idea of that journey through the liminal space that takes us 
into true self or into anchored self um, is real. Like it, it's all happening in the now because the now is all there, all there is. And so the being present, I don't know, it just the, the visual of flipping that was helpful for you. Think of that. Yeah. yeah, everything that we need to transform is happening right now. We can just awaken to it, but usually it takes processes, you know, time to do that. But it is available right now. Thank you. And the Holy Spirit in our dreams uh, will help us along that path. A lot of things will help us, but uh, we get guidance along the way. Yeah. Good. I have a question. Yes. Hi. Zandi, you mentioned one of your um, influences is spiral dynamics. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and so that last uh, slide you showed looked very much like a spiral. So I guess my question is, is that where that's kind of going with that concept? Yeah, it would be a fun... Or maybe what is spiral dynamics? <laughs> it would be a fun thing maybe at some point if, if uh, Retreat House wanted to talk about spiral dynamics. Um, it is an incredible body of, of work that maps out the trajectory and evolution of consciousness. So, for example, we know we physically grow up and there's different changes and we can do things at a certain age that we couldn't do when we're younger. That's also true at a consciousness level. If we're doing our work, we move through different levels of consciousness that, that each level has its own logic, internal valid logic, uh, but the, the, the levels of consciousness are often at odds with each other um, until you get to a certain level of metanoia, a certain experience where you can incorporate all of the levels and see them as valid, even as you have to set boundaries and so on. Um, and that's actually what I try to do with myself and my clients to the, those who want to, to travel this way is what does it look like to live at more of expanded level so that we can honor the rungs of the ladder that help us get to a certain level of, of gnosis, certain level of lived experience honor that in the, in the, um, even as we don't have to agree with a certain kind of logic that was helpful at a certain point in our life, but no longer. Spiral dynamics, therefore, is a map of consciousness. And you can go to YouTube and put that in, and you will exhaust yourself listening to that topic for, from now on until many years from now. Yeah. I, I, I love talking about spiral dynamics, and I do a lot of presentations and, and clients with that, yeah.